Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. For many of us, the turn of the calendar to September means back to school, the end of summer fun, and a look forward to what else we would like to accomplish to close out another year. It would also seem that that same turn of the calendar page has resulted in a shift of the narrative in the U.S. equity markets as well. While the summer boasted strong index returns, and some stocks exhibited the ability to compound on already remarkable gains, the first several days of September unearthed skepticism about the ability of large growth stocks, particularly in the technology sector, to continue to outperform. Names like Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft sold off without evidence of a fundamental shift in their business prospects, and Tesla was battered by the announcement of an improving competitive position for GM in the race to dominate the electric car market. The challenge with a shift out of these high flyers is one we have outlined in past podcasts, namely that they represent large positions in the major benchmarks. Well, except for Tesla, but that's a story for another time. So as a result, the trimming or outright selling of these positions by investors has an outsized impact on the performance of these benchmarks, creating greater concerns around the potential for a meaningful, lasting correction even without other catalysts such as company-specific issues or an economic overhang. So why all of a sudden did the music just stop? The S&P 500 was up over 13% in the course of July and August. Tech companies have reported solid Q2 earnings, Apple and Tesla had announced stock splits, and the global economy was clearly on the path to recovery. There are two main reasons why this reallocation may have occurred. One, the election is coming. The 2020 elections have long been expected to be very contentious given the political landscape that we have endured here in the United States over the last four years. Compounded by the COVID-19 crisis, there is significant frustration on the part of voters as to how Congress and the administration have handled this crisis. This is going to be even more evident as we look at the course of the last several weeks when Congress has been unable to negotiate a new fiscal stimulus package following the expiration of several key provisions of the CARES Act, namely expanded unemployment benefits and the protection of renters and homeowners against eviction. We also haven't seen any additional stimulus payments, which clearly had a positive impact on consumer spending in the months after the passage of the CARES Act. If you translate this into what could potentially happen on November 3rd, in addition to the fact that President Trump is running for re-election against former Vice President Joe Biden, there are several seats in the Senate which are hotly contested in this particular election cycle. So while it is unlikely 
that there is any real threat to the House of Representatives and the control of the Democrats of that particular House of Congress. There are concerns on the part of Senate Republicans that they could see their majority lost if voters decide that they have done too little to help insulate the American working class against this particular crisis. As far as the executive branch, it's really become more about which particular candidate voters are looking to support, as there has been little talk about their particular platforms given the changes to campaigns that have occurred as a result of the pandemic, as well as the ways that the conventions were held based on the fact that constituents still needed to socially distance and take appropriate precautions. Therefore, we sit at an inflection point where much of what we'll be voting on from a perspective perspective will be outlined in the coming weeks, whereas historically we probably would have had a better sense of the candidates' platforms prior to this period. With all of that comes significant uncertainty. Although it is fairly certain that if the Democrats were to win both the White House and the Senate, there would be significant changes in tax policy in order to create greater revenues to help battle the significant budget deficit that we are currently running in Washington. It is unclear if those taxes would affect first wealthy individuals and families or if the corporate tax rate would be higher on the list. On the flip side, if President Trump were to be reelected, business owners should likely expect continued tensions between the U.S. and China and perhaps greater uncertainty around trade policy with our other trading partners. As you know, this was a significant overhang in 2018 and 2019 as it relates to CEO confidence and business investment. So with all of that as the backdrop, it's not surprising to see institutional investors in particular taking some money off the table following the nice gains of this summer ahead of this eight-week, potentially volatile period. That leads me to the second aspect of this, which is really about repositioning for the quarter end. If investors were able to maintain their equity exposure through the depths of the market correction in March and April, many of those positions will have gotten back to their pre-COVID-19 levels, and perhaps if they had reallocated during that period to take advantage of some of the lower equity valuations at that time, then those portfolios may actually be overweight in equities versus bonds, cash, or alternatives as part of their overall allocation at this point. We could see this repositioning occurring over the course of the next couple of weeks, given, as I said, the upcoming election but also given the fact that we're going to have greater activity. 
many investors have enjoyed a summer in which they perhaps had become complacent about the positive performance of their equity portfolio in particular. We also could see some repositioning in order to potentially insulate portfolios versus what could be a coming second wave of COVID-19 infections, or perhaps layoffs of previously furloughed employees, which could result in a sputtering of economic data such as unemployment uh, such as the improvement in the unemployment rate this repositioning could also occur as part of an acknowledgement that perhaps some of the gains that were fueled by vaccine optimism may have been pulled forward into this period and so i would prefer not to use the cliche buy the rumor sell the news But in this particular instance, there could be some of that in the reallocation of these portfolios moving through the end of the year. There's been a lot of talk about a potential vaccine before the end of 2020, and certainly the the consensus expectation is that there will be at least one approved vaccine before the end of the first quarter of 2021. However, an approved vaccine and the dissemination of such a vaccine to a large enough number of people in order to create comfort in the resumption of pre-COVID-19 activities such as travel and dining out on a frequent basis are two very different things. And so there's likely to be a lag between the time when the vaccine is approved and when it will begin to be fully transmitted to consumer behavior, and therefore to the global economy. So we've talked about why the sell-off. And obviously, it's always difficult when investors are experiencing losses in their equity portfolio. And it feels that, you know, despite the fact that institutional investors and advisors will talk about healthy corrections, no correction actually feels healthy when it's occurring in your particular portfolio. In this case, however, if we think about what we would need to see in the equity markets to support further gains into 2021, I think we would be naive if we don't admit that if we have just the high-flying, high-growth, high-momentum technology names, communication services names, um, and some other of, you know, innovative companies in certain sectors like healthcare driving the market forward. Uh, This valuation mismatch between the top and the concentration issues that we've experienced are only going to be compounded in that type of environment. And so we really need the more cyclical parts of the market, energy, materials, industrials, financials, to participate in order to broaden out the market and create a better foundation for gains into 2021. And what needs to occur in order to fund that value rotation is not only the trimming of some of the equity names that we talked about earlier at the top of the stack, we also need to see a reallocation in portfolios from areas outside of equities. So whether that be cash or gold, or fixed income, um, treasuries, corporate bonds, cash needs to fund 
additions to those sectors. Investors need to feel confident that buying into those sectors will be rewarded in 2021 because of improving economic growth and higher inflation. And so the combination of those two things would indicate that investors believe that we will have stronger growth. They believe we're going to have higher inflation. That should help move the uh, yield curve into a steeper position, which would support financial stocks. All of these things working together might result in some short-term pain as these large concentrated holdings in the S&P 500 are trimmed or sold by institutional investors in order to fund some of this rotation. But if that is supplemented by a reallocation of funds from other parts of the market that have what I would call more muted expectations for return over the next couple of years, then perhaps the effect will not be so outsized that we will see only small pullbacks similar to what we experienced in early September, rather than having to endure a very difficult large-scale correction and then a, and a, then a subsequent reallocation after that correction. The bottom line is that as long as technology stocks continue to lead the markets forward, there will continue to be these risks that investors will wake up one day and decide that they're too expensive or decide that the growth that these companies are able to deliver does not justify the multiples at which they are trading um, to determine that their earnings will not be as strong as would be expected in 2021. And that creates an overall level of risk that feels uncomfortable to investors. And so our advice is twofold. Number one, um, be sure that you understand the exposure in your underlying portfolios. If you have individual stock positions and you also have uh, index positions, you could be doubling up on your exposure to some of these large mega cap growth names. Number two, look for opportunities to reallocate. Uh, If you have a longer term time horizon, the expectations for, for bonds over the next couple of years are somewhat muted. And if your portfolio was able to withstand the pullback in March and April, and you were personally able to withstand that pullback, and you understand what your needs are for liquidity over the next couple of years, might be an opportunity to add to some more cyclical exposure in the portfolio in order to take advantage of what could be improving economic growth in the back half of 2021. I've only scratched the surface on the myriad of concerns that could potentially be plaguing you during these uncertain times. And our goal here at Boston Private is to provide guidance and support as your trusted advisor. So we would encourage you all to reach out to our team if you have questions or want to go into any of these topics in more detail. If you have thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and of course the election by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're on our site. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you next week.
This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.